Hey, I'm Erica. Hi, I'm Ashley. And we, we own, own Cloverleaf Midwifery in Florida State. We are one licensed midwife and one student midwife. However, we're not your midwives. We seek out current and evidence-based stats and information for topics we present. But this podcast should not be used as a substitute for real obstetrical or gynecological care, nor should it serve to replace the advice of your chosen provider. We do encourage you to ask hard questions and or seek out care of a provider that is a better fit for your needs. Please also note that we absolutely use filthy language during our discussions, which may occasionally be about controversial or triggering subject matter. So now that's out of the way. Who wants to get buzzed and talk about birth shit? Bradley, editing this episode for the fourth time. Um, because I don't know what I'm doing. Information. He's like, I'm so glad I know this. This is exactly what I want to know about. He could give a fuck. Um. <laughs> Do you feel like at this point he could be a midwife? No. No. After all these years listening to you on the phone, do you, he has I, like, like believe, osmosis the information in? No, I believe midwives like to think that their partner listens to them. <laughs> like, oh, I don't care about this birth shit. I think that there is a little bit of tuning in mm-hmm. <laughs> and a little bit of tuning out. Um, I don't, you know, it's, it's like when people are, you know, I answer a call in the middle of the night and my husband's like triaging them in their sleep, but it doesn't fucking happen. I like, they're not paying attention that intently Yeah, that they're like, you know, cause there, you also have to have a basis for that knowledge, mm. you know, and have like an understanding how these things work. And so if you don't have, if you don't have that, like, Base. Yeah. It's like, like especially I have no context for this. <laughs> Most of the time you're like, are you bleeding? Are you cramping? What's your discharge like? Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's like, nope, don't need to know. He just like walks out of the room. Yeah, I can see that. I don't think he wakes up when the phone rings or it, I, sometimes he does get like, um, you know, like when he's sick, he doesn't sleep well and he, he startles awake very easily or, and he's like, uber sweaty mm. um like you can i can see that he is not getting good quality sleep and sometimes if the phone rings he he will like startle and um he'll try to start talking to me mm. um is so it your phone is ringing i don't no 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 i don't think he, he he's like still in a like a half dream state and so he's like trying to make sure that i'm okay mm. physically like mm. he thinks something is like on me <laughs> or whatever, um, falling on me. I don't know, but he, and then I'm like, Shh. and he's like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he goes back to bed. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I'm Ashley, I'm the student. And I'm Erica, I'm the licensed midwife. Um, thank you for being here. It's really cool of you because new podcasts typically suck. Mm-hmm. And so it's very admirable that you're here and listening to these very awkward new yeah. episodes. Oh, we fumble our way through this to good information, though. Yes, and figure out how we can sound the best for you <laughs> because we don't know what we're doing right now. Yeah. So feedback, feedback would be great. 
we would love your feedback. Just don't be dicks about it. Yeah, constructive. <laughs> so what question do you have for me this week, Ashley? Mm, okay, so I have, how does unmedicated birth change our physiology? Um, do we want to like say how the format is generally going to be? Yeah. Okay. That way they know what they're getting into. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So we are going to do one or two topics in the episode. I'm going to ask a question as a student and Erica is going to give us a well-informed answer. Vice versa sometimes, but not often. And we're just going to try to have a genuine conversation, you know, like we have our research laid out. Um, so sometimes it might sound a little scripty, but um, then, you know, we also want to have like a genuine conversation. So that's, that's our goal here. Yeah. And that's what we hope it sounds like for you. So what is your question for me this week? How does birth change your physiology? This was a really fun topic to do and also very overwhelming because mm -hmm. I felt like there was so much about each of the hormones uh, that are involved in labor. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I could do, I feel like we could do a whole entire series on each of the hormones and take up like a whole episode because yeah. um, they're just so um, in depth and th they do so much and they're so fascinating to me anyway. <laughs> and I think they obviously would be very fascinating to you, Ashley. Yeah. But um, anyway, so I, I basically just tried to answer your question initially, like how does it change your physiology? And, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, but ultimately I did kind of break down the hormones that are involved in labor. Um, the resources that I, I used for this research were um, an article by Dr. Sarah Buckley called Hormonal Physiology of Childbearing, Evidence and Implications for Women, Babies, and Maternity Care. There was an up-to-date article, uh, Preparation for Childbirth by Judith Lothian and a Scientific America article, Pregnancy Causes Lasting Changes in a Woman's Brain by Catherine Caruso. Wow. So the, um, we'll kind of talk about that Scientific America article mm -hmm. a little bit first, um, because that was kind of like the shortest, uh, like the shortest part of my research. There was a study performed by a research team at Autonomous University in Barcelona and it found lasting changes that linger for up to two years postpartum after undergoing significant brain remodeling during pregnancy. So pregnancy brain is a real thing. Yes, yes. And brain scans found gray matter in regions of the brain associated with social cognition and theory of mind. They were activated when looking at photos of their infants, so the mothers were being scanned mm -hmm. and those regions of the brain would activate when looking at pictures of their babies. And these changes predicted scores on maternal attachment. And they were so clear that an algorithm could identify which women had been pregnant. Wow. 
Surges in the sex steroids, progesterone and estrogen caused dramatic structural and organizational changes in the brain and could be used to predict how mothers scored on the attachment scale. Wow. These gray matter reductions could also determine which mothers were new mothers based solely on their patterns of gray matter loss. And gray matter loss was not visualized in the non-pregnant partner or mm -hmm. parent. So that was really cool. Yeah, I feel like it's good because so many women are like, Ooh, they get so frustrated when they're pregnant, when they've like lost their memory. Yes. But it's for a good reason. Yes. Yeah. There are actual changes happening within the brain um, that do linger for a time postpartum, but they're not fully permanent. Mm. Um, so, but that would be like the, I feel like most dramatic change in our, in our physiology uh, because of being pregnant. That's cool. Yeah. So the down and dirty is that it doesn't permanently change our physiology. Sorry if I'm being a little repetitive, um, though I think some will disagree. Um, <laughs> but someone who achieves a totally undisturbed physiological birth will experience the following. Oxytocin is the main hormone, um, at least one of the main hormones involved in labor. Oxy means fast and tocin means birth. So, um, but this is also uh, the hormone of love, trust, calm, and connection. Mm. Synthetic oxytocin is chemically identical to endogenous oxytocin. Um, endogenous means of the body. Thank you. <laughs> but has different effects because it's not released from and within the brain. Okay. Responsible for orgasm, rhythmic uterine contractions, letdown reflex, um, among other effects that we'll get into later. Okay. Oxytocin is released systemically from the mother's pituitary causing the uterine contractions of labor and at the same time is released into the limbic system. What is our limbic system? The limbic system is a part of our autonomic nervous system, uh, which controls like our fight or flight response or our feed and breed state. Um, so the limbic system is the more like relaxed parasympathetic mm -hmm. nervous system, uh, feed and breed. Yes, so and yes, and you must be calm and relaxed to feel mm. to, for these hormones to to um, to be released. Yes, thank you. Um, so at the same time, it's released into the limbic system, where it activates maternal circuits that foster the rapid and beneficial responses to their offspring after birth that promote infant survival. Mm. This is like baby cries and then we're alerted. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And it's like that desire to want to, you know, of course, like a cry doesn't sound good. Yeah. It makes us want to like we, we inherently don't like that sound. Yeah. But it's meant for us to bond with our baby to protect that baby and respond in a healthy way when that baby cries. Awesome. Animal studies have found that during labor, Oxytocin at physiological levels transfer from the mother to the fetus's brain 
and provides neuroprotective effects. Unbelievable. It's really cool. Oxytocin is also made in local tissues, including the uterus and decidua, which is the uterine lining, and also within the baby's amniotic sac. Okay. I encourage you to look up what that is, the decidua. I did not know what that was. Um, but Google's great. Look at the images. Yes. Yes. Within the brain, oxytocin can auto-regulate or influence its own release. So this is really cool. This is something I remember learning um, in my early my early semesters at school. Mm. Uh, auto-regulatory positive feedback mechanisms can lead to the extreme peaks of oxytocin that characterize the physiologic event events of labor, birth, and lactation. Also developing in late pregnancy and distinctive in the postpartum period is the ability of oxytocin cells in the hypothalamus to burst fire in a coordinated way. Mm. Yeah. So what does that mean? That like as it's releasing, it's like triggering more release? Yes, that's oh exactly God. what that means. So that's why the contractions mm. in labor as you move through early labor to active labor to transition, mm. they the contractions get longer, stronger, and closer together because the oxytocin is like, okay, this is working, but we got to keep building gotcha. towards that end goal of, of getting like a relay. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Fun and amazing effects of oxytocin. <laughs> Orgasm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's the big one. Um, pain reduction, mm. anti-inflammatory effects healing and growth of tissues, which I thought oh. was really cool. Vasodilation, mm -hmm. which is the warming effect of a mother's skin to assist in the thermoregulation of the newborn. So to keep the baby's temperature regulated mm -hmm. because they cannot regulate their own temperature yet, mm -hmm. our vessels will dilate, allowing more blood flow to go through, increasing the temperature which keeps our baby warm. That's incredible. That's incredible, Erica. I love it. Can I also just say that like the words that you're using, you say them so effortlessly and <gasps> constantly like, I'm keeping oh, up with you. Thank you. For sure, yeah. Um, I was told by a preceptor once not to use such big words. And I was like, but I think people would appreciate learning what these words mean. <laughs> I like to learn what they mean, but also I feel like it just gives validity to like what you do as a midwife where some people think it's so fluffy. Yeah. I don't want to come across as like, okay. look at me and all of these big words I'm using, but um, you know, this, this is like what they are, yeah. you know? And, and I, I love those words. Um, it helps in regulating the autonomic nervous system. Um, for stress reduction, it promotes calm and connection, reduces activity in the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight, remember, mm. and increases the parasympathetic nervous system activity and aids in the dropping of stress hormone levels, wow. which was also another thing that was really cool to me. Mm -hmm. And then Dr. Sarah Buckley mentioned this uh, state 
in her, this like emotional state in her article. And I had never heard it before. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the feed and breed. Yeah. And she called it tend and befriend. And this is so fucking fascinating. Moderate levels of stress provoke this oxytocin mediated tend and befriend state, which promotes the desire to gather together for mutual support. Mm. This tend and perf- tend and befriend caretaking response to danger may have been more pivotal in offspring survival than fight or flight response. Unbelievable. What? Yeah, I've never heard that before either. It's crazy. I love that so much. So that's like why, you know, I think um, certainly as like new parents, you know, there can be like a a hard time setting boundaries, Mm -hmm. you know, with people because those people maybe have had children and they do want to help you. And I think it, for the most part, can come from a very loving Mm. um, place. But, you know, we maybe just need to work on, like, how we set those boundaries before baby is born. Yeah. I think as people have maybe subsequent children, they kind of get a little more confident in in setting boundaries. um, And they also know how to accept help. Yeah. Um, But I, I just love this tend and befriend. Well, especially because I feel like when we talk about postpartum issues, I think a lot of that has to do with like being overwhelmed and feeling alone, especially with not having like, you know, for us not having the same kind of maternity, paternity leave. Yes. Um, but I think that's beautiful because honestly, like sometimes all you want to do is have someone hold your baby so you can shower. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or just take a nap on your belly (laughs) or without having to worry about your baby right there. Yeah. You know, um, awesome. So that basically wraps up oxytocin. That is beautiful. The next big hormone involved in labor are, uh, well, it's kind of a group of hormones, I guess. They're uh, known as catecholamines. And while I am going to collectively refer to these stress hormones as catecholamines, they're not all like actually catecholamines, some of them are released by uh, the adrenal glands. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, some of them are, are released from the brain. So it's not, um, they're not, I'm getting, I'm getting really wrapped up in this, but <laughs> um, these are the stress hormones, okay. epinephrine, norepinephrine, adrenaline, noradrenaline, dopamine, and cortisol. These are involved in the fight or flight response. Cortisol helps to actually restore homeostasis in the Mm. presence of stress, which was really cool to me. Um, Catecholamines increase eightfold over normal baseline levels by late labor or transition. Which is interesting because I feel like when you think stress hormone, you think like it's inherently negative. Right. Yes. Catecholamines are extremely beneficial in uh, labor Mm. in the right quantities. (laughs) Um, And so we will talk about like what happens when there are too many stress hormones Mm. present and for too long. Um, But they are extremely pivotal in in our uh, late labor and like 
beginning of second stage or pushing. Signs that catecholamines are present include dry mouth, upright posture. So this is why we'll see when, you know, people are getting into or right before pushing, they go more, um, you know, upright into a squat or hands mm -hmm. and knees, or maybe want to be um, almost like kind of like not reclined on their back, but like reclined with like lots of pillows propped behind sure. them or something more upright. Uh, verbal and nonverbal expressions of physiological fear, like shaking the head no, mm. um, you know, or, or you know, nonverbal signs like that, or saying, I can't do this, mm. I don't want to do this. I feel like that's the most common that I've seen. It's very common. You're about to have a baby. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, like kicking your midwife <laughs> um, would be another nonverbal. <laughs> I'm really stressed out. Just let me kick you. <laughs> So the benefits and uh, the functionality of catecholamines in labor, uh, so they will reduce the function of digestive organs. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously we do see this yeah. in like at least by transition labor because um, most of the time we might be hungry or have an appetite for things in early labor that starts to drop off through active sure. labor. You know, we are maybe cleaning ourselves out in early labor, but mm -hmm. we're still a little hungry. And then um, as we move through active and certainly into transition, we are not having an appetite anymore. Mm -hmm. um, that's why things like broth or smoothies or, you know, bites of, um, you know, like very easily digestible um, snacks, yeah. you know, in late labor just for some energy um, are, are helpful. And those are, those are usually more desired at that point. Uh, the catecholamines mobilize the fuel molecules such as glucose. So this is also helpful when we don't have an appetite is that yeah. we are at least using the oh, energy yeah. that we've had stored. Exactly. Gotcha. Increases blood pressure, mm. which increase blood supply to vital and major organs. So again, in little doses, yeah. this is very helpful. Gotcha. Um, we certainly don't want low blood pressure yeah. in labor. It dilates your pupils for enhanced vision and dilates the airways for, for effective respirations. That like the last two for me yeah. is I, like, that's hard to believe. Like I know that your body's doing all these amazing things, Yeah, but just to like be acutely aware and like do these small things. Um, Cause you know, breathing, like you're struggling through contractions and then to remember like, take a breath, take a breath. And your body's like helping that be mm -hmm. more effective. Yep. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And, and that's like part of the, the fight or flight, right? It, it, we want to, um, in, in moments of like true danger, right? We are, pupils are very dilated. We're focused. Mm -hmm. We are maybe having to run away from a bear. Yeah. <laughs> and so we need good breaths and yeah. it's just like, get out of here. Right. So, um, but those things, th those particular things are very helpful, you know, dilated, um, pupils for vision and, and airways for respirations. Uh, those, those are helpful. So, Cause like sometimes we want to, mm -hmm during a contraction and then um you know we need to like breathe yeah have effective breathing in between. I feel like I was definitely like I was just breathing so quickly that I wasn't really getting good breath um yeah so to know that my body was like helping me that even though when I was like <laughs> it was being it was yes. more effective and those shallow quick breaths yeah 
increase anxiety, which mm. will is obviously increasing more catecholamines. Oh, wow. Um, so it's like almost working against yourself, which was yeah. why I, I, Lamaze eventually was like, oh, that's not working. Mm. Uh, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> like that's, it's so much and it's all like up here in your head that it's like making the blood go to your brain like too much and <laughs> you are, are like, you know, getting dizzy um, and you're not actually oxygenating your body with good yeah. deep breaths, you know. Um, again, um, catecholamines are pivotal in late labor and pushing it's responsible for the fetal ejection reflex, which is rapid and completely involuntary. This, uh, these promote maternal alertness and focus, assists in maturation of fetal organs in late pregnancy, mm. which was really cool to me. Mm. So I think there's this thing that happens. I don't know if you remember this with your pregnancies. I certainly do remember it at least with my, my pregnancy with Everett, my mm. second baby, but there's this like kind of f impending feeling of doom. <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds so terrible because I, I was so confident getting ready for the birth of my second baby. I was like, mm. I've already fucking done this. Yeah. I know I'm going to do this again. There's no way I'm going to a hospital, yeah. you know, of problematic things like that. <laughs> but um, I, there was also this like, but like, what if I can't this time? Yeah. Or there's this like, when the fuck is it going to happen? Uh, there's like all of these like weird, um, like doubts, doubts yeah. that set in. And I wonder if that's the like catecholamine surges sure. that are happening to like, you know, mature baby's organs. Cause I feel like knowing you not pregnant, like if I was like, Oh, could you have another home birth? You'd be like, of course I could. Yeah. So I definitely think it must be your hormones are doing this. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, the placental enzymes uh, may also assist in metabolizing catecholamines for reduced negative effects on the fetus during late pregnancy. Mm. So isn't that funny? It assists in the maturation. There's got to be this little surge that assists in maturation of the fetal organs, but then also the placental enzymes are like, but not too much. Yeah. yeah. And it, because those, those, the catecholamines can potentially then be negative. Like stress the baby out. Stress the baby out um, and, and possibly lead to uh, fetal distress. Um, mm -hmm. You know, things yeah. like that. So that's really, um, that's really fascinating to me. Catecholamines prepare the baby for transition after birth mm. and promotes alertness. Mm -hmm. Um, but they may severely impact the functionality of labor if present in elevated quantities for an extended amount of time. So for example, cold will exacerbate the, the fight or flight response. Mm. Um, which is why like, you know, we want like the birthing environment to be, you know, at least warm and comfortable. Yeah. We might start really working very hard and then be like, I need a yes. cool, rag or like get someone get a fan on me yeah. or I need to get out of this hot tub. Yeah. Um, but you know, aside from that, like we, we generally want the environment warm, you know, and, and mom can like cool off if they need to. <laughs> 
they increase the resting uterine tone between contractions. So this is something that I've absolutely seen in people having like a dysfunctional labor, maybe one that's like prolonged because of exhaustion. Mm. And they will start to notice that like their contractions never really go away. It'll peak and they know that it's peaking, but then it comes down and it's still kind of like standing. Not getting a break. Not really getting a break at all. It can lead to, catecholamines can lead to uncoordinated and very intense and frequent contraction patterns. Mm -hmm. And then prolonged exposure or presence of catecholamines may affect fetal development and then the ability to transition after birth. So again, it's like we've got to find that sweet spot of when it's helpful and when it's not helpful. And then... um, Catecholamines may reduce prolactin release and ultimately disrupt lactogenesis postpartum. Lactogenesis. That's milk production. Okay. I like that. Yes. Okay. And then. Okay. But wait, before we move on. So I know you were saying like, we have to find this sweet spot. I feel like our bodies must be really good at doing this on our own, but like then, and again, we can save this for another episode, Mm -hmm. but how do they find that sweet spot when it's not your own hormones, like when they're synthetic? Mm -hmm. Is that just like trial and error? So I think that's definitely gonna have to be for another episode because um, uh, this is just in regards to undisturbed Mm. physiological birth, right? Um, But even in a labor that starts on its own and is left undisturbed for a while, it can still, you know, there's a a slight chance that, you know, exhaustion or or something dysfunctional is going on. And so then the catecholamines can be released for too long and maybe are just too much at that point. Um, but when we start introducing any kind of intervention that is going to change Mm -hmm. the physiology, right? Um, but we definitely have that on our topic list. Okay. Yeah. Beta endorphins are going to be the next big hormone involved in labor. Endo meaning of the body, of the body, right? Yeah. And fiends is morphine. So this is our own like natural morphine. Pain relief. relief. Exactly. Part of the medium term stress response designed to restore homeostasis. Mm. Beta endorphins are neurotransmitters that act on our opiate receptors in the brain and body to alleviate pain and promote feelings of pleasure. These have an involvement in brain-based motivation and reward circuits. I love these so much. I feel like Um, that reminds me of like the affirmation that's like, I'm one contraction closer to meeting my baby. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Ooh, yeah, because it's like a reward, right? Yeah. Ooh, I did that one, and now I'm one step closer. Yeah. Yeah. They optimize maternal mammalian adaptations. Okay. (laughs) They provide immunosuppressant effects. Um, 
The immunosuppressant effects of beta endorphins may be important in making the mother tolerant to their immunologically foreign fetus. Wow. What? So your body doesn't fight your own baby. Exactly. Awesome. Yes. Um, one study randomized pregnant women to flexibility and endurance exercises or a control group. Okay. So the control, the control group is where they don't do anything. Okay. And then the other group is where like they are doing flexibility and endurance exercises. Okay. So the study found higher levels of beta endorphins in labor with less reported pain among women who exercised in pregnancy. Hello. I feel Hi. like that's what we need to say. Yeah. <laughs> not just like, we're not just worried about your weight. Right. No. It's actually going to be really helpful. And it's not generally related to like weight gain yeah. or trying to control that in some way. It is mobilizing fuel molecules, yeah. not storing too much um, of a bad thing, um, and increasing beta endorphins for labor. Okay, but next time we're having this conversation with one of our clients, I hope one of us remembers so I can be like, hello. Yes. Wait a second. Yes. Yeah. Um, so now remember, beta endorphins do um, help the body in alleviating like pain and promoting feelings of pleasure. Mm. So those beta endorphins, like you're not only going to not feel so terrible with the contractions. Mm -hmm. um, they're almost, it's more like welcoming. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, and then the feelings of pleasure. Now I'm not saying to the point of orgasm, although some people out do. there have, have definitely reported that. Yeah. Um, it's not common, no. I feel like at all, but, um, have you seen that? I have not personally seen that. No. no. Um, especially as someone who was told by a midwife that I sexed my baby out. <laughs> um, I, I was definitely not on the verge of having an orgasm at It didn't all. feel like that to me. No. <laughs> uh, and another study found that the release of beta endorphins in response to exercise was enhanced in pregnancy. So together, these would suggest that regular exercise in pregnancy may enhance beta endorphins in pregnancy and labor with reduced need for analgesia or pain relief. I mean, listen, suck it up. Walk suck now. Suck it up. Yeah. Like, and not just walking. Walking is kind of bullshit. Oh. Yeah. I'm like, okay, but what else are you doing? Yeah. I'm a little judgy in that way. I mean, certainly You've walks are better. That. Walks are better than nothing. nothing. Yeah. Um, but like, what else are we doing? Are, are you doing a good stressful walk? Are you getting your heart rate up? Yeah. Cause then of course, cardio is going to build, um, like what is the word? Endurance. Yes. Endurance. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, it's going to build endurance. So you could potentially get through a longer labor, mm -hmm. uh, without feeling as tired. Yeah. Um, but certainly it's like also pushing yourself. Yeah. Through hard things. Yeah. Actually has this effect within your body to give you more. To reward you for it. To reward you for it, but to also provide this like pain relief for you when you're going through hard things. I feel like, I mean, I realize that we may have to like change the wording to make it more palpable. But sure. Like, yeah. 
I'm not just saying to exercise because it's good for your weight. You know, when we say it prepares you for labor, I feel like maybe more specifically. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Agree. Or they could just listen to this episode. I mean, you could listen to the podcast. <laughs> Beta endorphins um, are also involved in fetal neuroprotection mm. in response to hypoxia during late labor contractions and pushing. Amazing. Very cool. Beta endorphins produced by fetal tissues present in placenta and amniotic fluid um, also contain placental opioid enhancing factor. And this may give extra sources of rewarding and pain-relieving hormones when consuming the raw form of the placenta. Okay. Which is absolutely a conversation we're going to have another time. Placenta smoothie. Yes. Yeah. Do you want the sexy word for it? Yes. Placenta phagy. <laughs> I love it. Um, and, of course, the beta endorphins uh, provide reward and reinforcement in the mother during breastfeeding. Mm. <clears throat> and then prolactin, uh, this is a more, um, a postpartum, okay. but it is, um, I don't know why I do that to myself. Okay. Prolactin <laughs> is more of a postpartum hormone. It is essential in, uh, it's an essential hormone in milk synthesis mm -hmm. or lactogenesis release. Its release is controlled by dopamine. Uh, prolactin secretion is promoted by estrogen and uh, th uh, thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH. Girl, you remembered that. You are so smart. <laughs> um, this is this is one of those things where anyone who has ever pumped mm -hmm. knows that there's a certain window of time very early in the morning like a, a 5 to 7 a.m pump sesh yeah where you get the most, most milk milk yes thyroid stimulating hormone peaks at that time i'm telling you yes um prolactin adjusts your appetite which is why everyone's fucking ravenous postpartum For they're sure. just like thirsty and ra give me all the fat I don't care if I just ate. I'm hungry. <laughs> um, uh, provides fluid balance and immune function through the postpartum period. So that, that part is cool that it is involved in your immunity um, and uh, probably, you know, has that effect on your breast milk as well. Mm. It optimizes postpartum and maternal adaptations, including behaviors, attachments, and of course, lactogenesis. I don't know why that was necessary. Why the fuck did I put that in there? Because <laughs> um, so you're redundant. Thorough. This is why I asked you, because I knew you would get all the answers. <laughs> Several times. <laughs> Progesterone, which is produced by the placenta, inhibits prolactin effects on breast milk until placental expulsion completes. Okay. Yes. So what you're saying is that until I deliver my placenta... I'm not going to start. That's why our breast milk comes in days later. Yes. Oh, my God. And so the, it has to be like a minimum of 24 hours between placental expulsion and um, actually seeing full milk onset. 
it is a minimum of 24 hours. Wow. Um, but that is why it can take, you know, a little closer to five days for some, um, someone who has never breast or chest fed before. Yeah. And, um, uh, usually someone who has breast or chest fed before, uh, could potentially see breast milk coming in sooner sooner than, than five days. But the placenta has to come out. It has to shear and come out Mm. for that. If, and if there are bits of the placenta left in the body, it is still getting the progesterone. And so it won't come in. And so the milk will not come in. Wow. I mean, I feel like I know that this is what our body does, but the science behind it. I know. Oh, my God. Yes. Benefits of spontaneous onset of labor. Mm. Increased oxytocin and prostaglandin receptors prime the uterus to promote effective contractions in labor. Mm-hmm. Increased cortisol, um, part of the catecholamines, supports maturation of the fetal lungs and other organs. Pre-labor preparations in oxytocin and catecholamine symptom- systems <laughs> promote fetal protective processes in labor for optimal fetal transition and well-being postpartum. Wow. Short-term elevations and proper amounts of stress in labor and birth allow the mother to remain focused and alert. Yes. And surges of catecholamines in late labor protect the baby from hypoxia or lack of oxygen um, and promotes adequate newborn transition and alertness. Okay. So when we talk about protects the baby from hypoxia, is that like when we're having like transition contractions that are really long, that Mm -hmm. are just like squeezing for baby? Yes. Because they're not getting blood flow. Yeah. Therefore they're having a cutoff of oxygen Mm -hmm. during the time that we're having a contraction. Unbelievable. Dangers of excessive stress levels during labor and birth, uh, or prolonged fight or flight response. Mm -hmm flows blood away from the uterus and therefore the placenta Mm. to vital maternal organs leading to a stalled labor and or dysfunctional uterine contractions, but also will increase the risk of fetal intolerance of labor and or, uh, and or poor neonatal transition following delivery. Wow. It's bananas. So this is like also like in our setting, if we see someone who's like not progressing, if they don't like, if there's someone in there that shouldn't be at your birth, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like yep. mm. any, any person that is going to cause you extra stress yeah. or I mean, some people are like working on their kitchen or mm-hmm. something. And like the, the fact that people like that their kitchen isn't done isn't done is, is stressing them out. Anything that's like in your environment or your birth space that would cause you stress, um, could, could potentially lead to that. Wow. I feel like this reminds me of like when people say, how many people are allowed to come to my birth? Uh And you talk about it not being a spectator sport. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so prepping for birth, um, ways that you can, encourage your body to have a physiological birth um, in a healthy way, have these hormones kind of be healthy and balanced. Mm. So understanding the hormonal physiology of labor, 
right? Understanding how these hormones come into play, how they affect you in positive and negative ways. Mm. Seeking out childbirth ed that resonates with your beliefs and geared towards natural birth, but that is also evidence-based and realistic to any and all outcomes. And I'm fucking looking at you, hypnobirthing. Comfort me. <laughs> Erica. <laughs> Um, and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit. I, I think, think we should, because I'm pretty sure there's going to be some people who are like, hypnobirthing is the best. It, it was so good for me. Yeah. We'll talk about why it's unrealistic. Yeah. I certainly, um, I think our next episode, we're planning to talk about that. Hmm. Reading birth stories of all types, mm -hmm. um, or watching birth videos, right? You know, uh, home births, water births. Yeah. The difference in newborn transition between like a land mm -hmm. home birth and a water birth yeah, um, are different. Yeah. Those babies transition differently. Um, so kind of like getting accustomed to, to that and um, knowing what's normal because mm. um, there's such a, a wide range of normal. Um, but also, you know, maybe someone has had to transfer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, and, and just watching like hospital births, mm -hmm. um, if you can find those videos. Um, but I, I certainly think that like reading birth stories, um, because there are a lot of like home birth transfer stories out there. Uh, first time parents having home deliveries, um, you know, someone who's having their eighth baby and their first baby yeah. at home yeah. or something like that. Like those are all, uh, so helpful in so many different ways, you know, obtaining the stories of your mothers, your siblings, friends, mm -hmm. just coworkers, like whoever in your life that has had a baby, uh, find out what that was like for them. Yeah. And you know, just what their story was. Um, and a lot of people don't talk about it. So I think, but they want to. Yeah. And I think if we just, ask more, mm. you know, people would be very willing to get that information and, and, or maybe they're not, maybe they're not ready to talk about the birth story. If there's been some kind of trauma, trauma. Um, but maybe like working that out is good too. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of generations before us that it was just like accepted whatever happened to them and they yeah. had to move on. Yeah. Find helpful and truly supportive, both physically and emotionally, uh, team members mm -hmm. surround yourself with love. Mm -hmm. and minimize stressful distractions. Use the BRAIN acronym when making decisions for your care, benefits, risks, alternatives, and intuition. And an important observation that we've made, you know, as uh, midwives over our years of attending families in home birth settings and supporting those who have transferred to the hospital is this. Putting in the physical work to be healthy can improve function of labor and lead to optimal delivery outcomes and such, right? Mm -hmm. Exercising regularly, balanced eating habits, spinning babies, etc. But families who go beyond the physical, seeking out childbirth education that resonates with their beliefs, not just forcing an idea onto your pregnancy or birth, maintaining emotional stress, trust in the process, trust in their body's ability to labor and birth their baby, trust in their baby, those who do their own research and lead the choices in their care, mm -hmm. 
those who surround themselves with a great doula, encouraging support team, and most importantly, love, are truly the ones most likely to achieve their dream birth. Erica, you did so good. Thank you. What Thank was you. your, what was the favorite thing, your favorite thing that you, you I feel like, you know, when we're telling people to do certain things, um, I mean, at least for me, maybe this is because I'm kind of a birth nerd, but um, knowing like the sciencey reason why you're telling someone to do something, because it really does have such a huge impact on your overall well-being. Yeah. That's cool. And yeah. like you know that nature like designed this perfectly, but then learning what mm -hmm. it does. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And that most of the time, like 90% of the time, yeah. Um, when we allow a person's body to just go into labor on its own, um, you know, and and they have all of the tools and they've prepped, um, most of the time, you know, that 90% of the time it's just going to go like this. Yeah. It could be long, sure, but it will still be a healthy labor that progresses. Yeah. Um, and ultimately lead to a successful vaginal delivery. Yeah. Really only 10% of the time do we need some kind of intervention. And that is when we are thankful that we have interventions available to us. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes I've seen people having a very, very long early labor, mm -hmm. like it becomes protracted in yeah. a way where there's no progress, um, but their contractions are right on top of one another and they're now having difficulty coping yeah. because the stress hormones are just too high. Um, and then of course, what do we do? We, we tense up, tense up. Yeah. we, you know, and, and it just gets worse and worse through every contraction. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes pain management is really helpful. Yeah. Getting an epidural is not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. um, it is, it is a great tool, you know, for someone who is maybe having very, very elevated blood pressure because the epidural can help bring that down. Yeah. Um, it's very helpful for someone who has not slept in three days mm -hmm. and just needs to fucking take a nap, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and then that way they can just take a nap and their whole body is relaxing yeah. and they are able to labor down without having to like, do this work anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, and they can still then have a vaginal delivery. Mm -hmm. And if they ever decide to have another baby, that labor is most likely going to be so much different. Sure. Um, and typically like much more effective, mm -hmm. uh, efficient labor, you know? Um, and so like those things are not the end of the world. And we do like having intervention when it's actually indicated, of course. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like women are like, there's no way I could do that. I feel like this is like, this is the evidence behind like, but your body, you absolutely can do this. Yes. You know? And those who maybe have had like very painful periods mm. growing up, uh, those people are really fucking good at having babies. because they're, <laughs> they're just like going through a labor once a month. Yeah. <laughs> um, that like when they're actually having a baby, they're like, no I've been problem. doing this my whole life. Yeah. 
Um, and now I get a baby. But now I get a baby out of it. Yeah. Um, and like the uterus is just so used to Doing these it. strong, oh effective contractions that it's like, now I have a purpose. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, but then it's like the people who have never really noticed any mm. cramps. They're like, I don't know if I can do this. Cause I yeah. don't have that, like that frame of reference. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know what contractions feel yeah. like. I stub my toe and I call out of work for a week <laughs> or whatever. And it's like, no, no, but this isn't stubbing your toe. Yeah. This is literally an alternative state of being yeah. for someone who has the capacity for pregnancy, right? Like, it is something that we're literally built for literally it's in our DNA mm. to utilize these hormones yeah. and to go through labor to get a baby out. Mm. And so it's, it's a function of our body. It's not a toothache. It's not yeah. stubbing your toe. Well, especially because when you're hurting yourself, your body's not then rewarding you with like pleasure hormones. Do you know what I mean? So when you experience pain, nothing else is coming in to be like, it's okay, you're fine. You know, the way you get that in labor. Yes. Mm. You can do it. You can do it. Yeah. You can so fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Erica. I really loved having this conversation with you. Yeah, you're so smart. Oh my gosh. You make me feel real good about myself. Thank God you're my reason. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> um... So that's it for yeah. today. Um, and I really like can't thank you people enough for coming by here and checking this out because this is probably really awkward for everybody. Yeah. But I hope you stick with us. And um, we'll see you next time yeah. with some more fun shit to talk about. That's right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We live and practice in Florida State, meaning we are referencing our laws and protocols here. So if you're a midwife in another state with a different or no laws or protocols, we'd really love to hear from you. If you're a midwifery client, fan, or otherwise interested in traditional midwifery care, share your questions, experiences, and birth stories by writing to us at midwiveswithnolives at gmail.com or visit us on Instagram. And, and until, until next time, time may, may your coffee, coffee be strong and your birth be well-informed. Well Shoutouts to my talented and frustrating husband, Bradley John, for editing our episodes ever so lovingly. And to Ashley Hoffman for our designing our incredible jingle. Yay. Bye. Bye.